Hi guys, Brian here. I just wanted to make a quick little announcement before the next episode of the show. First of all, I want to thank everyone who listens to High Camp. You guys are amazing. Uh, it's so gratifying to know that there are so many people out there who want to know about these weird old gay movies that most movie podcasts don't talk about. And I also have a request, if you don't mind. If you haven't yet, please go to the iTunes store on your desktop or the Apple podcast app on your phone. Uh, swipe down on the app or click through to ratings and reviews on the desktop app and you can give us a five-star rating and if you don't mind write a nice review of the podcast that helps other people find high camp we're an independent podcast we're not on a network so i need all the help i can get getting the word out there about high camp and i just want to read one nice review we got last week from a listener this is from Hobbit138, and he says, Maybe a bold statement, but I think the majority of movie film podcasts are dominated by the straight male POV, so therefore I find them fairly boring, being a straight male myself. And High Camp is a wonderful and fresh look at motion pictures. The ultimate understanding of a film would be to watch it at least once through every single viewer's eyes, but a podcast like High Camp is the next best thing. The guests are wonderful and the conversation's educational plus insightful about defining camp, something I'm excited for each episode to add further to my personal understanding of what makes something camp. Thank you, Hobbit138. That's so nice. And it's nice to know we have at least a few straight male fans. Uh, an earlier review, I'll read this quickly, from Daniel8383. Great podcast exploring historical gay art and the way we gays viewed art in the past. Brian Rucker is so smart and funny and has great guests. Wow, that's nice to hear. Susan Sontag did not create camp. It existed long before her essay, and I'm not sure she completely understood it, as I'm not sure she had a sense of humor. I do cringe occasionally when one of the guests says something like, I guess Alice Faye was a big star, or who is Rosalind Russell? But I can get past it. That's the thing. I mean, Daniel8383, I so appreciate your review. And yeah, we all come from different knowledge backgrounds, different generations, uh, film history backgrounds. So yeah, we're not going to know every star, every movie, but that's why we're doing this podcast to learn about the past. So we don't have to think about the future. All right, guys, thank you so much for indulging me. Uh, please follow me on Instagram at high camp pod and DM me. Uh, if there's a movie you want to, uh, want us to talk about, let me know. Um, I'll, hopefully it'll be on the list and, um, yeah, let us know what you think about the movies we do talk about. Uh, if there's any guests you particularly like, I can try to have them back on or guests I haven't had on. I can contact them to see if they want to come on. So now, without further ado, the new episode of High Camp starring Mr. Drew Drogi. I'm sitting here in my own house minding my own. Hello, this is High Camp, the podcast where I try to watch all 406 movies from an out-of-print gay film guide before I die. I'm your host, Brian Rucker, 
And I'm really happy to be joined by Drew Drogi today. Hi, Brian. Hey, Drew. How's it going? Great. How are you? Good. I'm so glad that you're uh, doing this podcast. I'm Coming so over. glad you're doing this podcast. This is such a great idea. Thank you. I didn't know. I have to admit, I don't even know about these books. Yeah. And it, there are 406 movies on the list. So, yeah, this is a guy. He was a professional librarian in Duluth, Minnesota and like an amateur film critic. And these books have been out of print for a long time. I think there was like a slate article, maybe seven or eight years ago that I read. Uh And then I just sort of bought them online used and got them and like, didn't look at them for a long time. And yeah, this summer I was just wanted like a new project, new, something new to do. And I looked at these books and I was like, Oh, this would be fun to, to sort of have this Sisyphean task of oh, trying to absolutely. watch every single movie in, sure. on this list. Well, there's so many on there that I obviously have seen, and then there's those that I haven't even heard of. No. So I'd love to check out the books and just to see, like, well, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, just because it's like, yeah, you know John Waters and you know this, you know, and Valley of the Dolls and Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and all that, but it's like, the, the, you know, like, yeah. There's, there's so many, and, like, this guy obviously has a very specific taste. It's not comprehensive at all mm-hmm. as far as camp, so... You get to know his like picadillos a little bit. He uh-huh. has like twenty weird Italian Tarzan movies. Oh, and I love that. Just like lots of like beefcake stuff. Sure, sure, sure. That yeah. would be maybe impossible to find. Well, and, and also like impossible to sit through all of them. Exactly. Like you've seen one and you've seen all twenty of them. Like yeah. I mean, there's some movies you're like, you know, you think, oh my god, we've discovered this movie. I'm like, it's like I feel, you know, sadly, I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to believe that nothing is able to be discovered later. But for sure. a lot of food, it's like, well, it, we would know it. It was delicious by this point. Like, you know, you found some, you know, exactly. super fruit from the, you know, Amazon. Yeah, like, we found all the we super fruits. We know the best flavors, you know. There, yeah, there's not going to so, be like. But a... I'll keep trying. <laughs> you know, I, I want to believe that I can keep trying them. And I'd love to watch one Italian Tarzan movie. Totally. And maybe you'll really like them and then you'll want to watch sure, all 20. Absolutely. Or at least, you know, jack off to them or something. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, and there's also like, I haven't, no one has asked me to, because there's, there's definitely a ton that would not be available for streaming. And uh-huh. I would have to do a little like hunting to find them, which I, which I sort of would want to do if you know people want to talk about them because there's all these sort of like soft core porns from the 70s and oh, 80s yeah. about like a class reunion or a bunch of guys at a pool or something <laughs> and it's like this nar- like this narrative Three and a half hours totally uh, you know just so <laughs> crazy that people used um, to put that, oh yeah there's um who's the the 70s porn director who did um Bijou and um Oh God! Oh, uh, it's right. Wakefield Pool. I oh, I don't know. Stuff is in there. I wonder because he was. Um, yeah, I went to a film festival uh, in in Norway. Right, because I'm doing very well. Wow, I'm I bet. Very worldly, but they did a retrospective on on his films. Okay. And I watched him in a theater. I remember we watched Bijou. He did another one on um, Adam and Eve, or, or you know, he did no the Bible. He just it's Wakefield Pool's The Bible, and it's porn, but it's like the but there's a there is a story. Yeah, do they go through the whole Bible? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I didn't watch the Bible, but I did watch uh, Bijou, which is fascinating about like, there's this whole storyline of a woman getting hit by a car at the beginning of the movie. Okay. And then, and, and, and her, she throws her purse in the street and a construction worker um, somehow steals her purse, but helps her up. But like goes home and there's a card for a gay movie theater in her purse. And it's like a noir <laughs> completely. And it's like, and also like, you don't need the storyline at all to get yeah. to the movie theater where all the business happens. But, um, it's also beautifully shot yeah. and it's like, and there, there, there are things in it that are, it, it's absolutely art. So like, yeah. I get why, you know, people would go back and look at it now, not just, just for, 
straight up porn. Yeah. I wonder if that will ever come back in style. Like, uh, art, like artistic plot driven movies with unsimulated sex. I know. I I love that. I mean, I'm, you know, um, Todd's, I mean, um, uh, oh my God. John Cameron Mitchell. Oh yeah. Short Short Bus, Bus, which I thought was a masterpiece. I didn't see it. I need to see it. Oh, it's incredible. And it, it worked on so many levels for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would love, I would love to. I wonder like the sort of mechanics of making actors feel like they're comfortable. Like there, it it would be a tough, I guess, sell for any sort of reputable studio to like put money behind that. But it was, I remember the sex and short bus feels so real Uh and it is very sexy, but it's also ridiculous and, and and it's very human and it doesn't feel like titillating or anything, you know, uh, that so many other things do. So it, it, it felt less, um, pornographic than, mm. than something where you might want to watch and be like, Oh my God, the sex is so over the top or, yeah. you know, you know, that's, that's cool. Well, wow, yeah. I'll definitely check that anyway. out. Yeah. Uh, what else have you been watching? It's been a couple weeks since I've recorded an episode. So I have like a few yeah movies that I've seen. I've that I seen about. a lot of movies at the theater lately. Um, I've seen a lot of things that I feel very ho-hum about. Okay. Um, something I loved that's now available online is a movie called the death of Dick long. I've heard um, of it. It is revolutionary. I've never seen a movie like it before. It's being dubbed as hillbilly noir. And, um, it's, it's sort of like a twin peaks ish vibe, but it's also, um, a lot funnier. And, 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 um, it's the acting is so good in the movie that the, the most ridiculous information comes out. I mean, it's not even ridiculous, but just, but really, Bizarre is a better word, I would say, and and um, upsetting and painful and uh, problematic and complicated oh, wow. stuff is happening, and yet the actors are so grounded in what they're saying that it's so believable. Like I bought the entire movie, I was in it the whole time, and it's not a movie for everybody. But I, I just I've seen so many things that are so aggressively medium this uh-huh. year yeah. that I thought it was just like I thought it was astounding, and I, and I cannot wait to see highly it. recommend it because it was playing. I think it was playing at like the Alamo Draft House or it was the okay. ArcLight for like a week. It was at the ArcLight. I it was the ArcLight. Okay, and then I checked this because I did want to see it. I checked mm-hmm. this weekend's already out of theaters, yeah. uh, but it, it's on demand. Maybe yeah, I think it is on okay. demand. It's definitely online, and you have actors like Andre Highland and Sarah Baker. Who oh, are wow. just so incredible yeah. that it's just, and the, but they just are doing these, just unbelievable, uh, you know, um, these performances that are just like you know Virginia Newcomb. If you know, I mean, these are people that like I've known through the years and worked with, and the, you know, that are that are getting to like show what great actors. Oh, that's they so are, cool. Uh, on on camera, so I and I I love like I love neo noir. I love. I mean, I am probably one of the few people that loved Under the Silver Lake that came. I out loved this year. Did it. Did you love too. it? Okay, good. Oh my god, I loved it so much. It's a movie that, like, if someone tells me they don't like, I totally understand. Oh, for sure. Because it's like it's not for everyone. But I laughed so much. I love a rambling stoner comedy like that. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I, you know, and I just it also felt so L.A. So so I mean, they they shot it literally like within a few blocks of where oh, we really? are right oh, now. Really? Yeah. yeah, like the um the apartment complex right when you drive on Los Feliz, uh, into Atwater. The Rancho Los Feliz, those were uh-huh. the exteriors oh, okay. for his okay. apartment. And sure. yeah, all this stuff. It, it was so, I mean, it's always just fun when you see a movie, like a very sort of specific place that you oh, you go past every day. Absolutely. It also had a, it reminded me a lot of, is it the, the Warhol film? Is it Heat? The one with Sylvia Miles? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Heat, which I've very, done an episode on Heat for this oh, okay, podcast. Okay, okay, yeah. great. It had, it had a lot of parallels to absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, and the long obviously goodbye. was following Sunset Boulevard yeah. and. You know, the L.A. noir, I love that kind of stuff. And I also, 
and a, a film about LA, you know, even, you know, um, Marlowe, um, Raymond Chandler, right? Phil Marlowe, yeah, yeah. Phil Marlowe, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is rambling. It's totally. LA has to feel, it has to feel like you don't know where things are going. You know what, you don't know what people's, you know, real, uh, you know, um, motivations yeah, are. Cause it's such a hidden city. Like yes. everything, everyone's in their house or in their car. Yes. And so you have to explore to, right. to be able to find people. And that's what's so yeah, great. I, yeah. I didn't really think about the parallels to heat. Uh, it but reminded it's true. me a lot of it. And I think it was just a lot of it, like with Joe D'Alessandro in his apartment a lot and sort of all the dealings around the pool. And mm-hmm. I just, when I saw under the silver, like I was like, I, I don't know if that was a conscious effort on, um, David, what's his name? Oh, oh yeah. three names. Yes. Uh, Mitchell. David fo- Robert Mitchell? No. That sounds right. Something, Something like, like that. that, yeah. Because he also did It Follows, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is also equally brilliant, but a totally different film. Totally. But I'm a huge fan. Um, I actually auditioned for Under the Silver oh, for real? a small part of it. And, um, I could see you in the After movie. seeing it, I was like, man, I really wish I could have gotten uh-huh. you in that because I just, I loved that. I loved what it was doing. Like, I loved every Yeah, and every the fact of it, that you know. it it presented a protagonist that was like deeply uh, immoral and problematic, mm-hmm. but didn't, didn't go out of its way to like hit you over the head with that. You'd sort of, as the viewer, you had to sort of make your own mind up about the motivations for this oh, character. Absolutely. And I always love that. And I, and it's I, like a very adult way of filming. I don't know. Yes, I agree. And I, and I think that's a problem with a lot of movies now is that they don't trust their audience no. to do that. They want to tell you, exactly how to feel and so it, it's like i'm bored by the end yeah I, and I don't think it's and i don't think it's honest and it's not human people aren't you know heroes and villains we're we all are somewhere in between and absolutely I like sort of going oh i love them oh my god i hate them oh my god what's happening why did you do that oh my god oh now i get it i mean that's the journey you want to go on for you know a yeah someone. uh and that, i mean i guess that is a good transition as any to joker which i saw yes this weekend and it's a, I, I've never, I can't remember the last movie where I was almost afraid to bring it up with people because oh. people's reactions to it are are so off the chart, either positively or negatively. Which and, I really don't understand after having seen the movie. Me neither. <laughs> I, okay, because I'll be honest, I liked the movie. Mm-hmm. I, it really made me feel something mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think any comic book movie uh-huh. ever has made me feel, sure. just on a visceral like um, you know, you're when you whenever you see a, a movie that really affects you, like you're sort of buzzing after leaving the mm. theater, and that's sort of how I felt. And I mean, I understand some of people's problems with it, but the moral panic around the movie, yeah, I, is I mind-boggling almost, to I me. I almost wonder if some of that was drummed up by the studio maybe, they, because yeah. they wanted they wanted people. To, I have to say, I don't know if I've ever been so scared to go to the movie theater as I was when I went to see that movie. I saw it on. The Thursday night that it opened, at, and I went to a ten o'clock screening. Oh wow! Yeah, and I also at the ArcLight. But I remember. I, I mean, I, I don't remember ever having to question like, what theater am I going to see this in? And I'm not going to see this in the dome. I'm not going to go to the big theater because if something happens, so I went to a smaller theater. I went to a ten fifteen screening, mm-hmm. thinking to like, throw, throw less them off people the will be yeah. there. And it's so sick the world we're in right now. And I remember asking a friend on my way and I said am I going to get shot tonight and and he said just sit towards the back of the theater without batting an eye you know and it made me so deeply sad that that's where we are that we had to and and that he just without thinking said that and it's so I was so uneasy going into the movie. I was I was very aware of who I was in the theater with mm-hmm. and if anything was going to happen. I know the security. So 
I was so uncomfortable going into it. Um, I thought he was brilliant. I thought his performance was absolutely incredible. Uh, me too. Um, I thought that because I love the King of Comedy and um, Taxi, Taxi Driver. Driver so much that I felt like it was very much doing what those movies did. Oh, it was ripping well. them off completely. Completely. Yeah. And I also was like, you know, I have a thing about comic book movies that I like them to still be comic book movies. Okay. And so, like, I thought Tim Burton nailed Batman brilliantly and no one since Tim Burton has really got it because Christopher Nolan, it may, they're, they're so serious. that like, There's no fun in those there's movies. There's no fun. There's no joy. And even though I did love his middle Batman movie, but a lot of it was because Heath Ledger's yeah, yeah, performance. Yeah. But like, it's insane. Christian Bale's performance is insane. So fucking boring. And, and, yeah. and boring and also like so over the top and, and, and Christian Bale's one of our greatest living actors. But I, he, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I just think... Um, that Tim Burton totally understood the darkness and also the light and also the comedy of it. And so this Joker was even, I was like, I was so, it was just, there was nothing funny about him. Instead it was like, oh, he's the guy that, I mean, in all my years of teaching comedy and, and being in the comedy world, I'm like, oh, the one who you shows know up that in the guy. trench yeah, coat yeah, yeah. who's like, I'm going to make jokes about, you know, hurting kittens and I'm going to laugh when nobody else laughs and I'm going to be, you know, and, I, I know that type of person and that's a, that's a really, that's a tortured nerd. And, um, you know, so I, my heart goes out to those people. And, and so I guess the moral panic was that we are sympathizing with someone who's like trying to, to blow up the world. But I certainly don't think the movie, the thing is, here's the thing. I think that it's not, it, it's not as effective as a movie like Clockwork Orange because in Clockwork Orange, you, I think you have to be an idiot to watch Clockwork Orange and think that movie advocates violence. Mm-hmm. And we're in this modern climate of like everything is, you know, you know, advocating, you know. Well, everything it's, it's has not. to. The, the, the movies themselves have to be on the like quote unquote like moral right side of history, and right. like we we're and maybe allowed to have right. characters that aren't, but the 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 filmmaker has to advocate in and Todd. What's his name? Todd Phillips is literally the worst advocate for his own work because he oh just puts his foot in his mouth. He's like ruining his own yeah. movie over and over again. Everybody talks. But for for me, I felt that the violence in this movie was so deglamorized and 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 shocking and gross. Like none of them were part of action sequences. It was right. Uh, and there there was some you know dark comedy, and I, I guess I could see if you don't look at the movie as mostly like a a, a figment of his mania that people are, you know, reveling or um, building him up in this way. But right. It's all in his, it's all in his head, all in his head. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think from the last shot, exactly. Yeah. I pretty much tell you, this is all that's in his mind. Also, it wouldn't, I mean, it doesn't make any sense if it was all real. No, like, I mean, spoiler, sorry. Yeah, I mean, okay. But like Robert De Niro would never have him on his show. So like to think that like, that's all real. Then no, and and again, I mean, just what I, I mean, not every movie needs to be as good as Clockwork Orange, and I don't think every movie needs to be, but I don't think it's, I certainly don't think it's advocating um, this behavior, nor is it. I mean, I don't know. It's, yeah, and I, I thought like the the sort of political. I mean, the the politics of this movie are for but both very blunt and sort of a muddled message. But yes. I do think if it if the movie comes down on any side, it is like a critique from the left about income inequality. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's literally headlines, you know, in the newspaper, that's like kill the rich. Right. And like these, right. these billionaires, the ruling class are right. the bad guys. So I was, and again, like it's not a very subtle 
or maybe well thought out message. But I was like, oh, at least this is showing that the decline of the social state is in part response responsible for oh, people's sure. declining mental health. Absolutely. And to me, I mean, it, it worked better as a character study than it did as as trying as a tie in to the Batman universe because that stuff felt weird to me. Like I didn't yeah. need that he maybe his half brother <laughs> and like and then the actual guy who shoots the family is not is him. not him. So it's like he's creating other jokers and then I'm like it's just it gets to where you're like it feels very shoehorned in that they're trying to be like and it's also this For and sure. this. Whereas like the it worked best when it was just showing this this Joaquin man's Phoenix decline and the decline oh, of this of this guy. And I think my thing was like, oh, Joker, I mean, I, as growing up on, you know, watching reruns of the old TV show, it's like Cesar Romero was hilarious. Jack Nicholson was hilarious. Like they were, or at least they had like, a, they were Jokers. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know, and it's like the modern understanding of that character is now this like, has turned into this like complete psychopath that's not as fun. No, or well, there, there's so much cultural weight attached to the character of yes. the Joker now that he has become, I mean, one of our like defining sort of symbols for the alienated white man or whatever. Right, so right. it's just, I, I don't know that you'll ever be able to do a fun Joker again because there, there's I don't know. just too I don't much. Know. And maybe we shouldn't do a Joker yeah, I don't anymore. Know. I don't know. Or maybe make our own thing. I mean, I feel like everything's so derivative of something else yeah. that also like, I don't understand where people are morally because you know, I mean, I went, you know, after seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I don't know if you've seen I loved that it, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I think it was a beautiful film, but I also had a really hard time at the end of that knowing what happened to those real people. I couldn't distance no. the movie. And a lot of people said they loved it because it gave Sharon Tate the happy ending that she deserved. And I, I understand that. But my God. And I didn't, the violence in that movie didn't bother me as much as the the Tarantino creepy cool factor that he yeah. puts on everything. And I don't think, I don't think slavery is cool. I don't think uh, the Holocaust was cool. And I don't think the Sharon Tate murders were cool. So I have a hard time going on that fun ride with him and his movies, dude. I have a really hard time with it because I'm sitting there going, yeah, but this was what was really happening is was horrible. And again, us cheering at like watching, you know, like, hippies getting torched in swimming pools. Okay, fine. But yeah, I, man. I, I, it is a weird response. Cause I think some people and did, talk to, you know, Leslie Van Houten who, oh my God, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a complicated story. It's so complicated. Like, they were children it's too. Like children yeah. who like, and not to get, not to say that what they did wasn't the most monstrous, you know, act of the 20th century. No, no, that's not true. Uh, it was also the Holocaust in the 20th century. But I mean, it was a horrible but thing. But yeah, and it was, it was both horrible and, and it was like, like symbolic of And so everything. we're watching this movie as the, the summertime thing and it's like, we're and again, I thought Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio were incredible. I loved the way it looked. I think it's one of my favorite. And Tarantino, I always enjoy to a place. And then I think he does this thing he loves to just like subvert your expectations, mm. which I'm like, okay, I get it, man. But I'm also like, but wait, there's a real thing that happened and we're supposed to, and and we're worried about Joker. Yeah, Like yeah. Joker is the thing that we're, I mean like, you know, like Sharon Tate was butchered. A nine month old baby was pulled out of her. Ugh. Like, is there anything more? Yeah. And I don't know what like, the answer, cause you, you uh, to, to, sh to show that would be more, obviously more oh, horrific. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's like, no way you yeah, want to show that. Like, uh, I, you think 
the, the brilliance of the movie is you think you're going to have to watch it, mm. and instead you get to watch them walk away. That, yeah, and then but these other man, these other young still... women get murdered. Who and it, it's complicated. But there and there were some people when I saw this movie that were cheering them on, and then I I'm just sort of I, I can know. never again, get I'm on not, board with violence. I don't have to morally judge anyone, but mm. I didn't applaud when Osama bin Laden was no, murdered. No, like, oh, it's I, all I, horrible. I, just, I don't think it's cool yeah. Yeah. to just be like, oh, the bad guy's dead. Fuck yeah. yeah. Like I don't like that. It's gross because it's like I mean it's a cliche, but like violence begets violence. So yeah. like whenever you or like an eye for an eye, like it's just whenever you take pleasure off of someone's murder, whether they're a horrible person or not, it's like, yeah, it's just for well, gross. I mean, again, I don't know. I mean, I, I it's like there's certain things where you're like, I love Freddy Krueger movies. I love John Waters movies and they murder all the, to yeah. me, they murder all the right people That's in those true. movies. So I'm always, I, you know, I, it's, it's just weird when, you know, we sort of attach so much of what's going on. I don't know. I don't know. It's no, like, I, yeah. Complicated uh, and I, I mean, this this year it isn't because people talk about like the you know the decline of the movie going experience or people. I mean, and it is it is cool that there are movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Joker, which mm-hmm. are huge hits that mm-hmm. lots of types of people are watching them. Mm-hmm. And then there is also this real discussion about real things, right? Which makes me like uh, hopeful in some sense for like the future right. of movies. Sure. And I really hope that uh, you know I love going to the movies, and a lot of people don't like to go to the movies I anymore, love to but. Go. I go all the time, um, but I do hope that we're able to just keep, you know, telling original stories. I, that's just my feeling. Is yeah, like, let's just tell original stories. And that's what's sort of sad about Joker is like they're they have and to shoehorn Hollywood. They're original adjacent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I mean, unfortunately, a major studio is not going to finance a movie with totally original stories because it's just right. not proven. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like death of Dick long. It's like, that's the thing where you're like, Oh, you're just gonna have to find that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, hope that it has a life of its own, but yeah. yeah, well at least they're able to, and I, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it this week. I'm yeah. It sucks that it was only in theaters for like a one theater for a their, week. Uh, that was just their agreement that they had. Yeah. Apparently. Oh, they, cause so it's like involved with it. Yeah. Yeah. VOD. So, yeah. Cool. Well, let's move on to our main topic today. Talking about 1986's, Ruthless people. Ruthless people. Drew, I sent you a list of 406 movies. Yep. What made you choose Ruthless People? Well, I I feel like I've done a lot. I've talked a lot about John Waters, and uh, who I've mentioned at least three yeah, times yeah. on this podcast. I mean, he's one That's of the greats. Like, I could talk about any of his movies in my sleep. There are a lot of movies on this list that I love, but Ruthless People was the one that jumped out to me as the most interesting on the list because I feel like this is the movie that John Waters never made. And it feels, I mean, it's, it's the Zucker and the Abrams brothers. Yeah. And it is, first of all, it is also its own LA noir in a lot of ways to bring up, to go back to what we were talking about. It's a balls out comedy. It is one of the most convoluted plots yet. It's holds up. I mean, as I watched it again the other day to do this, every line in it is earned and set up and paid off. It pays off every storyline. Yeah, and it's so written in a way that comedies are not anymore, like like feature comedies. Uh, I and I, because I, I was watching it, and I, I don't think I might have seen parts of it when I was a kid or something. But if I have, I didn't remember any of it. And I, when as I was watching it, I was like, oh, this has to have been based on like a French farce or something. And then I looked, and it what it was like an original it's idea. An original idea. 
And I was like, and oh, I, this is crazy. And talk about terrible people. A movie of horrible <laughs> yeah. people that you love. And you love watching them screw each other over. And then some of them you realize aren't as terrible as you think they are. Yeah, like yeah. that Midler's character is actually, you love her. The whole, yeah, totally. I mean, the whole time. It's the movie that made me fall in love with Bette Midler. I mean, mm. when I, I um, it, so in '86 I would have been nine, so it, I probably saw it when I was ten or eleven because it would have been on HBO a year. I, I know I didn't see it in the theater, um, but uh, I just it was also like, you know, I, I mean I can quote every. I mean I just <laughs> I know it so well because I was watching it again the other day and I was just like, but also you have Anita Morris who is this legend who just never got the. Attention that she deserves. No, she I looked at she died of ovarian cancer. Yeah, like and very in young. her fifties, yeah. like she was really young when she died, and she uh, was a Broadway legend. She was in on in nine on Broadway. Oh, okay. And um, a lot of other things. I think she won a Tony for that image, anyway, but she's she's like the sex pot, uh, you know, Southern um, like. So, oh, Southern. It's so all the so, character archetypes are so John Waters completely, yeah. and you have. Danny DeVito at his funniest as just a horrible and like sexy sort yeah, of yeah I know yeah. I know totally and um you know and there well and also just he's you know he has the ability he's like threatening in this movie where totally. you never think of him in any other because it's like you think about like his sort of history and like from like the Romancing the Stone movies and it was, it was this was like maybe his first star I think it vehicle? was I looked on his IMDb because yeah he did Romancing the Stone which was like a sh- supporting character a uh-huh. couple years before and then yeah that, Jewel and of then, the Nile uh, was that oh, the same that, year as Jewel of the Nile was before? before this but he was su- more supporting yeah, in totally. that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I think this was like his first sort of top yeah. build performance and um, you know and he's incredible in this movie and you know but you're getting um what I love from it's it's it, it it is the pace is incredible. It's like from the jump, it's like you you're learning like oh this person is screwing this person over and oh wait the other that person's screwing the other person over. Yeah, there's no exposition. It really it literally starts in the middle of the conversation between Danny DeVito and his girlfriend mm-hmm. about the plan that they're hatching. Like and right. you just jumped into it. Right, I know. Ugh. Um, and then there just and then you have the introduction of one of our most underrated comedic actors of all time, Bill Pullman, as the stupidest... Talk about sexy. Yeah. Stupid. But, oh my God. Bleach blonde, funny. like, sort of surfer. I mean, just very much yes. like that 80s LA archetype. Totally. Uh, but yet so man, sexy, totally. Like, living in a trailer Trailer in Santa Monica. In Santa Monica, of course. <laughs> as you do in yeah. 1986, uh, when Santa Monica was such a dump to live in. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then you ha- and then you have Judge Reinhold and Helen Slater as these like really sweet kidnapper- kidnappers, who you know are who just to want like, to like get credit for the designs yeah, that they the did that Danny DeVito stole. Mini skirt that they. I mean, oh, it's uh, so good. Yeah, and like I mean, Judge Reinhold, I knew because it's it's funny. I was thinking this this movie came out in '86, so I was four when it mm-hmm. came out, and I feel like the first like five to 10 years of your life are almost like your biggest cultural blind spots unless, uh-huh. unless you have like older siblings or something. Cause like your parents aren't paying attention to culture because they're raising you right. and you're a little too young. So uh-huh. I feel like for me, the early to mid eighties, I'm just so I, there's so much that I just am uh-huh. unaware of. Sure. Sure. Uh, and yeah, seeing judge Ryan, I guess that's what judge Reinhold. I knew him as Fred Savage's dad in that 
18 um, again? No, it, no, no that, was the, that was the other uh, one. Vice versa. Vice versa. That was it. Because uh, um, <laughs> yeah. I was like, obs- I mean, Fred, Fred Savage was definitely like my first crush when I was a kid. Oh God, I was like so obsessed funny. with him. So I knew, I knew him. And then, yeah. And then Helen Slater, that was like a name. She was like a big sort of ingenue at the time. Well, she was Supergirl. That was okay. her first big thing. And then this was another one because then after that, she did The Secret of My Success with Michael J. Fox. That was 87, I want to say. Um, and, uh, but anyway, Supergirl would have been 80, 84, I think it said on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. she was just coming off of that. So yeah. So she was, yeah. And, and, um, so they all had been because judge Reinhold had just come off of Beverly Hills cop. Mm-hmm. And so they all were like at the top of their game because Bette Midler had just made a comeback because down and out in Beverly Hills was her first, was her big touchstone movie. Yeah. That post she, the Rose. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the Rose was like 79 okay, yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. And she was just still known as like a singer who did like live, like body comedy shows. And it wasn't until Down and Out Beverly Hills when they were like, we're going to, and they gave her the touchstone. So she did Down and Out Beverly Hills, then Ruthless People. And I'm going to be wrong with this because I'm not looking at internet. Oh, yeah, After Ruthless People, it was Outrageous Fortune. And then it was Big Business. And each of those movies got Correct less. order. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't need IMDb. Yeah. I'm that nerd. <laughs> um, and so they they all got less raunchy as she got bigger and more mainstream. I see. Um, I love Outrageous Fortune also. Big Business, I love in theory. And I tried to watch it again. We we did a live reading of it. Oh, okay. It does not work It doesn't at all. hold up. It doesn't. It's <laughs> weird. And um, Lily Tomlin's amazing in it. But Bette Midler, it's a strange and very PG yeah. movie. Whereas Ruthless People is... It's it's my favorite of all of them because it's just it's so it's just filthy. It's fil and, it, and, and on a soul level. It's not just like it's just like the and that's why I think it it has a John Waters spirit about it. It's like these people are just like are just rotten. Yeah, but they're they're rotten, but they're also so like you said, so lovable. Lovable. And and Bette Midler has such like a, a warm energy. Mm-hmm. You sort of want all this mm-hmm. filth coming out of her mm-hmm. mouth. Because if she is doing like a PG movie, it could be too sort of tame or cartoonish. You want her to be as like totally as filthy as possible, right? I mean, she's a woman. I mean, just her and her crazy outfits that she's wearing, like just this insane. If I mean, the '80s didn't exist, ruthless people would have invented it. Like it's like it's like so <laughs> totally it, just the a grand high Los Angeles the '80s furniture. Oh my also, God. it's paid off in the opening scene where Danny DeVito says about Matt Bindler's character. He goes, I hate her furniture. Yeah. And then you go to that house and it is, it looks like, you know, this Allie Willis, like PB's playhouse yeah. set. That's just like so over the top. Teal and purple, odd yes, angles, and, and white yes, and the furniture. That they I can't mean, sit on and everything about it is just, and cold. Yeah. Like just angular and geometric and, and, and cold. <laughs> and, um, you know, and that just so sums to the really, but like she's dressed like, like, like Pia Zadora, like rock alien, you know, and when they, when they, when they pick her up and you find out she's getting urine injections and yeah, the, the, the eighties like wellness references mm-hmm. are so, cause I, my, the other podcast I do is all about goop and Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, oh, and great. so I'm like very attuned to like the contemporary sort of wellness culture. So it's funny. Yes. Uh, listening to her talk about urine injections, all the, the aerobic stuff, just the yes. fact that, so she's like this horrible person for the first act of the movie until Helen Slater's character gives her a compliment saying, oh, you look like you've lost weight. Yes. And that turns on a dime completely. <laughs> it's like no one's ever told her that. It's actually like heartwarming it's, when she yeah. when that moment when Bette Miller turns around and hears that 
you fall in love with her. Yeah. There's a light on her that comes or that comes out of her, really, that's just like, oh my God. Because she's so vulnerable. This woman, that's all she's wanted to hear all her life. And it's so sad. Like that no. that um I mean, and it, obviously at that time, and still everyone has like body issues, but I think now because of uh quote unquote body positivity, uh-huh. you're sort of not even allowed to like talk about your insecurities as sure. much. And, oh, it, absolutely. and like it is horrible that, you know, women have been judged on their weight for as, as mm-hmm. you know, time immemorial. But in the eighties, it was all like out in the open and like to, to tell a woman, Oh, you look like you've lost 20 pounds <laughs> could be considered just a total compliment. Whereas now it would right. be so fraught to even say I something know, like and that. It's so crazy that it's, that it's a problem now yeah. because especially with, it, it's all about context. I mean, when somebody says, God, you look skinny, then that's, there's, that's loaded with judgment and For weirdness. Sure. But if someone goes, you look so good, you look so skinny. They mean you look good. They yeah, give yeah, you a yeah. compliment and they don't mean like, Oh, you were so fat and hideous before. That's your shit. Yeah, you totally. Hear that as a compliment. And, um, but yes, anyway, I know it was, it, and, and also I think, uh, the eighties, it was, it, there was such a focus on, excuse me, on, um, Jane Fonda mm-hmm. on, um, you know, Jazzercise, uh, yes, Jazzercise yeah, yeah. and all that, just that, just the idea of like um, being helpful. I, and the fact that she's, she's cooped up in this little, you know, this little basement kidnapped. And the only thing she can do is really watch these exercise uh-huh, videos and uh-huh. like work out. And, and in the matter of like a week or two, yeah. she gets an amazing shape. Like yeah. it's just so great. It's, well, it's like Bette Midler is like a tiny, tiny woman. Yes. But I think be- because she has like, you know, big hair, big features, sort of big personality. Mm-hmm. She, she can almost like play a, like, overweight or big woman yes and weird it's very weird well she well she She she's big boobs too and she's also abroad yeah i mean in the best sense of the word in a way that you know you're like and it's why like i I feel like you know someone like you know and now we have like amy schumer who Mm -hmm. can be a who can be a stick and the way she looks she can lose a bunch of weight but she's still going to be abroad totally you know like you want someone who i mean in a comedy you want somebody who is going to be filthy who is going to say it like it is that's what you you don't want some like kind of sweet you know, demure no. person and always. Like, and now I don't, I don't so know. It's not even about the, their actual size as much as like what they bring yeah. to the table and you know, your insecurity, it's going to follow you forever. You're gonna, For sure. You know, and those, and she's like, her character is very honest about that, which I think is oh, refreshing because now it's like, you're not, I don't know. And I don't mean to be like, Oh, this is a bad thing that people are like positive about their bodies, but no, it, of course it's, not. it is. It's like, uh, every, everyone is insecure about their bodies. It's like a fact of life and no sort of cultural conversation is really going to change that. No, I think of, the course level. Not. of course not. No, we've definitely changed it. Oh, absolutely. Yes. For sure. Totally <laughs> perfect. Um, so yes. Yeah, so Danny DeVito, uh, is, wait, so, so, so Judge Reinhold and Helen Slater kidnap Bette Midler. Danny DeVito hates his wife, so he sort of does not want to pay the ransom um, because then they will kill her and then he'll be rid right. of her and inherit all of her it, it Basically, he's planning on killing Bette Midler. And at, at the same time, coincidentally, she gets kidnapped. So he's thrilled. No. Danny DeVito's thrilled that they've done the job for him. And they threaten to kill her. And he's like, great, please do. And then I don't have to, you know, do anything. So the kidnapper's plan goes awry, as does... Danny DeVito's because the woman who he's cheating on, Anita Morris, is having an affair with Bill, Bill Pullman, Pullman, and they are planning on framing Danny DeVito to get his money, and then they can go to not Haiti, not Haiti, but to Haiti. Haiti. That was a great joke. <laughs> oh my god. I remember as a kid not even really understanding. Yeah, yeah. But the way he says, then we're off to, to Haiti. Haiti. She's like, not Haiti, to Haiti. Haiti. Oh, wonderful. Oh my god. Yeah, Amazing. so like 
so then there's a side plot where uh, Bill Pullman is is going to <laughs> videotape Danny DeVito killing Bette Midler. He but thinks in, that well, they think the plan is that that is that he's going to uh, chloroform her. She's going to be unconscious. Oh and right, going to dump her. the body. Yes. So so the idea is gonna, he's going to dump her unconscious body over a cliff, and that's going to kill her. I guess. I guess. <laughs> and so instead, instead uh, he uh, videotapes a. Uh, what he doesn't know is a police commissioner having uh-huh. sex with a prostitute right. uh, and like fucking her so good that she's like screaming as if she, it sounds like she's dying, even though she's just orgasming. Yes. Um, and then I guess like no one looks at the tape. Yeah, everyone just like gets distracted. They don't know what it is until way too late. And then she ends up sending it to the police commissioner, obviously not knowing. Yeah. But the way it's written, it's just, it all makes total sense. Totally. Like every character. It's is easy to follow. Completely. Regardless of our kind of. I know. And, it, it, and you're so, so into it by the end. It's uh, such a fun adventure and we also have the other subplot of the bedroom killer oh my god yes which is like also very 80s like serial killers were i mean at the height of Uh i mean before this current true crime boom i feel like the 80s was like the first sort of serial killer boom sure and and to have this guy the bedroom killer whatever lurking around um la murdering people and then of course he wanders into uh the backyard and of judge right. Yeah. Slider, and slider. they push him uh, down the stairs and he dies. And then, and then the <laughs> bodies get switched in the ocean yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> and somehow you just have to believe exactly. there's a snorkel involved and money right. somehow comes out of a briefcase and the rest of the money. It's, it's a real big leap, but I, it, it all fits to me in such a fun, delirious way. But every character in the movie fits in the puzzle in yeah. a way that I just, I, it's just so satisfying. Totally. And that was it. the other reason why I thought maybe this was based on a play is because there were so few, it was like, you know, it's mm-hmm. like six or eight characters right. and, uh, and it's like a small, the small cast and it's, it's just, yeah, very, very concise. Um, and it's, I mean, this was not written by Abrams and the Zucker brothers cause it, it's very different. Oh, it style. wasn't. They, no, no. So this, wrote it? okay. I thought it was them. So they direct. They directed this. If you don't know, they directed like uh, Airplane and some of the scary movies Top and Secret. Ta- yeah, yeah, all the like super uh, spoofy movies. Hot but, shots. That was the okay. Movie. Yeah, but the movie was written by uh, first at this time first time screenwriter Dale Launer, who was at the time he wrote this actually working in an electronics store, much like Judge Reinhold's okay, character okay, in the movie. Great, great. And then he went on to write um, Blind Date. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, oh, is- My Cousin Vinny, and Love Potion Number no. Nine wow. before sort of just retiring in the '90s. And the only the only recent credit he has is The Hustle, but that's because it's based on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Okay, uh, but he hasn't really done anything in Dirty in- Rotten Scoundrels is. Equally 80, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and my cousin Blind Vinny. Date, I love. I've never and seen my cousin that. Vinny is great. What a what a talent. It's yeah, crazy. And then he great. did. Uh, it was his. Screenplay uncredited for Eddie, which was that Whoopi Goldberg movie in the mid nineties. Oh, I never saw that. I never saw it either. And then it's and then yeah, there was one more credit called Tom's New Heaven in two thousand five, and then The Hustle is just a story by credit in two thousand nineteen, right, and right, that's right. it. Wow. Yeah. You wonder what the story is when it's like you know what I'm I'm good. I hope that he's good. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> he's just retired. Exactly. Yeah. You know? But uh, but yeah, the, like this because the, it, it is so um, it's so like just like a play. And it's so different from the Zucker Brothers other other movies. Oh, totally, because it's not the same brand of. Con- it's mm. not this, and I love all that other stuff. Yeah, too. Yeah. I mean, I love Airplane, but it's not that goofy. No, it's a lot more. It's a it's a lot more sadistic and nasty, and that makes sense that they didn't write it. It comes from somebody else. It's also the dialogue is so character based. Totally, it's, not it's so joke based. Yeah. 
And I, I much prefer character-based comedy than, me too. than, than joke-based as well. And that's probably also why I, I, it reminds me of of like a pink flamingos in a way or, you know, or polyester. And that's yeah. Cause like you have these horrible people just all butting up against each that other. Point of view, yeah. Which I love. It's my favorite stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like no, no real subtext or like, like everyone is just saying exactly what they exactly. feel. And it's, it's so just oh, cathartic 100%. and refreshing. Yeah. It's just, Oh, it's, it's great. You, you, it's like you, you know, talk about living vicariously through the movies. Oh you want to be one of those characters who just say exactly what's on their mind. Yeah. Uh, and then like the other, I, I thought most sort of enjoyable, just like fun part watching this movie was just watching LA in the eighties. Yes. And it's like a world that I am just, it's like a foreign country looking sure. at my own city right. 30 years ago. It's, right. it's so cool. Like the, I mean, you know, the interior design and all that stuff, but just mm -hmm. like the neighborhoods that they shoot in. I mean, uh, Danny DeVito and Bette Midler are supposed to live in Bel Air. And then, yeah, there's a trailer park in Santa Monica, <laughs> which is insane. And then they shoot, um, like the climax all happens uh, downtown. Here. Well, yeah, right. But, but before that, they're oh, downtown. Right. They're all downtown, like by the music center. Yeah. Like, right at the Amundsen. And the, 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 right the, where all, that, all, that, yeah. all those buildings were so new at the time. Right, right. Um, and I recognized one of the exteriors was the exact same exterior that they used for D&D &D advertising agency in Melrose Place. Oh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> which I think is like the Wells Fargo building. Uh -huh. And okay. then, of course, yeah, he drives right from there, and then immediately is that Santa Monica Pier. Pier. Exactly. I know. It's really funny when you know L.A. and the geography, and you're like, wait, how did you get yeah. from here to there, and whatever. And um, and I guess we're supposed to believe that Judge Reinhold and Helen Slater live somewhere like Mar Vista area. So, somewhere, yeah, the west side, like but west like not. Maybe Culver City. Something like that. In the 80s. Look at that. I have no idea, but it's like there's somewhere in the middle there. Um but yeah, I I love. I don't know. Have you have you seen the morning after with Jane Fonda? No, it's another. It's eighty seven or okay. eighty six, eighty seven, and it's a it's amazing. But it's it also just it's so eighties, so L A, and um, yeah, it's just it's just watching that. Yeah, and and L A noir. It's a thing. It's like it, it. You know, even even a movie like Ruthless Ruthless People, which is a comedy, has all those aspects of like just freaks. And murder and and selfish people and shady people and people who not to yeah. be trusted and and um and maybe part of why like I love this place and some or maybe why on some level like I've always felt like LA was in my DNA because I've grown up watching that and been like God I just want to be among yeah 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 all of that and like you had I mean back then it seemed like you uh, you were butting up against people in different sort of socioeconomic classes in LA a little bit more than maybe you would be now. Yeah. Oh yeah. For um, sure. And like the fact, yeah, most of this does take place on the West side, which now is, I feel like completely just unaffordable forever. Mm -hmm. It's like super just wealthy. But back then, yeah, like you said, Culver city, Mar Vista, these were, these were sort of working class suburbs uh -huh. almost. Uh -huh. um, and you had, you know, still up in the Hills, you had the rich people, but you go down like the, 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 the little drop, that he's supposed to do with um, with the briefcase and stuff, I think was on like Pico and La Brea by top round and stuff. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, and just, right, the, right, right. just seeing the smog and, and, and the garbage, um, which I guess still exists, but it, <laughs> it seems uh, LA like, like, like New York in the eighties too. It seems it, everything seems a little more cleaned up now. Oh yeah. Totally. Um, and, and no, and I, I mean, off. I love the junkiness of Hollywood Boulevard. Oh my I God, love yeah. the sleaziness of it. And I, and I think that should, I don't know. It's part of our personality. Yeah. The West Side. I lived. I lived in Santa Monica the first year I moved okay. here, twenty years ago, and it was so built up and suburban then, and now it's even more so. So yeah. I much prefer the East Side. Yeah, I've. All, I mean, I've only lived here for six years, um, coming from New York, and I've, this is the only place I've lived on on the East Side. Mm. Uh, but even, I mean, 
I wouldn't be able to afford this neighborhood now if I moved here just in oh, the past yeah, six, six years. It's, it's everything's so kind of crazy. Um, what else? Oh, okay. So like the biggest camp, I mean, there's a lot of camp moments in this, but what made me laugh more than anything was the poor dress that Helen Slater designs for Bette Midler. <laughs> the Bette Midler's like so excited to get this designer. She's like, oh, it's Armani. It's Versace. It's Bill Blast. Bill Blast. Yeah, Bill, yeah, these, I don't even know Bill Blast. <laughs> I only know Bill Blast because of that movie. Because, because she says it twice. Yeah. It's like they love Bill Blast so much that she, said that she says it twice. Like Oscar de la Renta. <laughs> um, I and then, know. And it, I mean, it. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like uh, giant. Shoulder just pad, cleavage, yeah, just these shapes and and holograms and just I mean it, yeah, completely outrageous. Also, like, to what would you wear that dress? Like, there's nothing. I mean, it's like just some sort of like to like a video game dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, like, where, it's <laughs> a day to night look. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but she she genuinely loves it. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, it's so uh, it's so sincere because mm-hmm. that character really had she. She's just pure id. She like she's she's angry for the first half of the movie, and then at the yeah. end, she just befriends these these poor young kidnappers. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, immediately just loves them and accepts them. It's probably just also like hasn't met, you know, real people who no. see her for who she is. She has family money, so she's always probably been isolated from right. like regular right. people. Because that's the thing you don't know until later that that Barbara Stone actually has more money than the, Sam Stone yeah. does, and so Sam. You know, it's the one that they think is the the billionaire, but really Barbara's the one who has the, all the money. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, the last the last shot of the movie is she just uh, is on the beach, runs <laughs> up to them, and they just all three of them go off. Like, and it's like sl- and it's like a freeze frame where she's jumped up in the yeah. yeah. What it's, now in the book? I, what context does it put this movie oh, in? Yeah. So uh, okay, so this will be a good time. Um, I'm sorry. Oh no, 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 not at all. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, this guy writes reviews of all these movies. I do like to read the reviews on the podcast and then we can see like if we agree with what he says. Oh, great. And they're, I mean, this guy's, I think he's still alive. So I don't want to, I mean, he's just like bonkers. He has opinions like we all do. Sure, sure, sure. So Ruthless People, 1986. Ruthless People is a suitably depraved reworking of the famous O. Henry story, The Ransom of Red Chief. Mm -hmm. Its greatest depravity is probably the casting of Ms. Bette Midler in the Red Chief role. She happens to be kidnapped on the very day when her scheming husband, Danny DeVito, intends to do away with her. DeVito refers to her as a squealing, corpulent little toad. He despises, that's such a John Waters line. So, it totally is. He despises everything about her. I hate the way she licks stamps. (laughs) It's a rare film that portrays heterosexual marriage, married life so frankly. At least initially, she gets along with her captors about as well as she did with her spouse. She describes to one of them, Judge Reinhold, the colorful experiences awaiting him in prison. You'll be so popular, making all kinds of new close friends, big, ugly, hairy friends. Not that you'll ever see what he looks, uh, what they look like, because you'll be facing the other way. He apparently takes her at her word. At the climax of the film, he's so desperate to avoid arrest, he drives his car off a pier into the Pacific. One of the campiest things about the film is the decor of Ms. Midler's mansion. The style is 80s new wave, or should I call it 50s ultra modern. Mm. At any rate, the overall effect is to make it look as though she and DeVito are residing inside of an animated cartoon. The other campiest thing about the flick is Midler herself. She howls, she whines, she brays, she rolls her eyes and generally makes a spectacle of herself. This is not an exceptionally funny comedy and it runs out of gas midway through. Disagree, disagree. Yeah, disagree. But Bette is clearly a performer who's able to do a lot with a little. Hmm. So he huh. sort of gives it a middling review. Well, well first, first of all, the thing we haven't talked about, and I can't believe he didn't talk about, is the 
campiest thing to me is the opening credits. Oh my god, the cartoon! Which are yeah. So which uh, which set the tone for the whole thing. It's like you're watching them. and so eighties. I mean, yeah. like, True Beverly Hills has some of oh, the credits. Totally. A lot of films, you know, but just like. God, I just miss the credit sequences like that. The animated and the plant that's gonna chomp the eagle. Yeah, yeah, them. yeah. Um, and then just and every and every uh, you know reveal of every actor's name or you know every crew member, it's like some different way of dying. It's like poison <laughs> or like you know, um, you know, get, you know, getting knocked off a cliff or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I love like on TV shows too. They don't really have you know the opening credit sequences mm-hmm. with the actors' names. That was no. so. I know when you're a kid and you're like you know, looking up to these people and being like, oh, maybe one day I want to like do something like this. Of course. It's like the, to just like know the people's names and like all that stuff is so fun. I know. And I think that that is part of the association that we have as an audience member with creating stars is like that, that, that sort of those, those opening credits and now everything's too cool and too real for that. Um, I don't think it runs out of steam at all. I don't think think so at all. Very quickly. Um, and then, um, is he sort of saying she was bat miscast? Well, I think she's. I think he's saying that she's like just sort of an over the top performer, and uh, yeah, and that like I don't. I mean that he doesn't maybe believe her as like this sort of rich housewife, but right. I don't. I. I he. I mean, this is also a man who's now, if he's alive, he would be like in his eighties. Uh-huh. So. I think he is a very hard because he grew up in like the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. So he has a great love for like classic Hollywood. Yes. Um, and I think for the, the more recent movies that he includes, he definitely is harder on them and oh, like yeah, does not. Sure. And it's like every generation you, the, the stars that come after when you oh, were growing up, you absolutely. don't, you don't think it was great. As, oh, of course. Like Barbara Stan, Barbara Stanwyck would be perfect in this role. He would say, Oh, of yeah. course, <laughs> which she would have been, yeah, in, been in 1956. She would have been great. Um, yeah, it's just like, you know, I, I will say that Married with Children is one of the greatest sitcoms ever because it it was the first sitcom to really make fun of the sitcom and make fun of mm. the perfect American family. But that's a that was a show that I remember when it came out and people were just like, it's trash, it's garbage. I wasn't allowed and, to watch and, that oh, yeah. and I was not allowed to watch Roseanne. Oh, wow. Uh, I think my parents had... They hated They hated work. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like these white working class, probably uh-huh. Republican people. Uh-huh. They didn't want me exposed to that stuff. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Also, both of those shows are very liberal. Sure, yeah. The they, yeah, but I think if you, if you don't... If you're not familiar with them, you see the people and you just mm-hmm. are like, these oh, are yeah, undesirable. No, those are yeah. depraved people. But, you know, I... You know, I love that and I think people now if they go back and look at Mary with Children I mean you know I don't know that it 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 holds up like 100% like comedically but I think for what it did culturally it 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 was it's revolutionary yeah and um you know I yeah it is weird a lot of it is the the age that you see something and that you know you can go back and see like oh god I you know um it's like you know my my brother has kids and he shows them things from our childhood and some of the things they totally get Uh like they loved clue oh cool but um there are other things that they'll watch and they just don't it just doesn't last but they they can sit through a movie they can sit because i I know people with kids that are like oh they there's no way that these oh yeah my my brother i think would would disown his children they can sit (laughs) through i mean they do love movies and they do but i know it's like the short attention span they have but they do get bored easily and things I did watch when they were a lot younger. Um, I had them sit down and watch Annie, oh. and then they got really bored. But so did I. I mean, yeah, that's a boring good. movie. I mean, Annie is great because of Carol Burnett <laughs> yeah. and and um, Tim Curry and Burnett Peters. But then when those crazy people aren't on, you're like, 
FDR. Oh I don't want to watch all that either, yeah. so I don't blame you. Yeah, uh, movie musicals, I think, are hard for kids unless they're, like, super into movie musicals mm-hmm. because most of them are so long and have, like, a lot of downtime to oh, them. Oh, totally. Uh, Clue is one that I just, that was one that I watched over and over and over again. Is when that I was on a kid. his list? It's not. I mean, oh, wow. I think honestly, like, I don't, I, I think, cause that movie probably didn't build maybe it's camp following until. Oh, it was a like, huge flop. Clue until, huge yeah. Flop until like our generation saw it right. maybe on rerun, like right. syndication or whatever. Um, so I don't think his generation, they would have even considered right. that. Right to be worthy of even to include in the yes, camp, yes. you know, movie guide. Right. Right. Uh, cause it was such a huge flop with, I mean, the greatest comedic cast ever. A set, um, 100%, yeah, yeah. 100%. They're going to remake that with fucking Jason Bateman. I know. I saw that. Oh my God. Why remake good things? <laughs> remake, yeah. Make, remake bad things. Remake bad things. Or re, I don't know. I just feel like, or uh, make new things. One or the other. Make new things, please. Uh, um, I know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like this. Well, and I, I could see why, you know, they remade it because like it was not good, but it was like memorable for people. Sure. And, you know, Stephen King. But Clue, and I guess that's what they're thinking with Clue, like the first one technically flopped, but it's, you're never going to equal, there's no way. I just, just who, who is, what poor actor, no matter how brilliant they are, is going to have to be Madeline Clark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to have to totally... Or they go, they go back to the board game and do, like, Mrs. White is the maid. I think they like, would have to reimagine I mean, the characters. they have to totally reimagine everybody. Um, it's like the the Tim Burton, Willy Wonka, I think. Right. They, Which, oof. I mean, it's rough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but that was but enough. they went back to the book. Yeah, they went back to the exactly. Wilder movie. Because yeah. you're not going to... I mean, those those kids in the original movie... You know, they didn't have like the longest careers ever, but they were their their performances were iconic in their yes, own way. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll see if I can clue. Oh, what was Jason Bateman? Who's the other guy? There was someone else attached to it. I remember I was like, seeing eh, that, and I, I mean, I love Jason. Bateman. Yeah, no, he's and great, I, and I and I love watching him do things. Like, and but I just I just feel like, oh, what's the point? Um. um oh, the other thing I wanted to mention. I think I like Billy Joel now after that. Song. Oh my God. I, yeah. uh, Modern Woman. Modern which Woman. I'd never heard that song before, I don't think. Was, was it that from the movie? I don't know. It's because, I mean, I grew up with that movie, so okay. the song was always part of my childhood. So yeah. I don't know if it exists outside of that movie. I like, I think it Maybe might it be for, because I looked it up on Apple Music and it was just sort of on his like greatest hits. Uh-huh. So I think it might have been written for the movie. For the movie. Yeah. Um, and who did the the Ruthless People song? Oh, I, I mean, don't know. That song is just like, you can have it if you <laughs> want it. All the music is so good. Oh, it's so good. Um, it's, the, it's, yeah. Right. And um, and the, it, it feels, I mean, the whole movie does feel like a cartoon in, in, a, in a really great inspired way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe studio comedies will get to this level again someday who knows i hope so i think we we have to we have to allow um for for stupid and for horrible people to come back into movies and yeah. not feel like we have to have a an agenda with everyone and, and think, not everyone has to like learn a lesson or be a better no. person because people don't learn lessons people learn the worst i mean one of the greatest <laughs> comedies of the you know last 20 years i think was young adult oh yeah which charlie Theron learns the complete oh. wrong lesson at the end of that movie and it's one of the most brilliant movies because it's like oh no she thinks she's gone on this journey yeah and she hasn't so it's a comedy and a tragedy and what a satisfying movie to watch and i don't know i that to me is that's where it's at it's man. so good it's not um, you know 
but yeah, those movies are for like a more, I don't know, like specialized audience or whatever there. It's just not, um, breaking through on a level that Joker or whatever is yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Com- Comedy is probably the hardest cause it is so subjective. People have so many different types of humor and now with, you know, everything spread out. There's so many choices for TV and movies. Like, are, are you ever going to get a consensus comedy? Is mm-hmm. there such thing as a consensus right. comedy anymore? Right. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, the last thing I want to mention was the price of the electronics were crazy. Oh my God. I know. Right. That's, that's the, that I'm so glad you said that because I thought that like they were more expensive in 1986 than they would be now. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, talk about it's because of the deindustrialization of our, uh, of our manufacturing base and everything is outsourced. So yeah, speakers, good speakers were $800, but they were made in America and people had um, living wage making them. And the the VCR was on sale for $365. And now you can buy anything on Amazon for $29, but no one has enough money to fucking feed their families. Right. Exactly. I remember when we got a VCR in the eighties, it was such a big deal. And we were like, we felt rich because we had a VCR. <laughs> and, you know, and you went to Curtis Mathis first, which was, and they had a little, what do you, like a um, kiosk or a thing, what is it, like a turning, spinning kiosk? Uh, is that what you call it? Oh, I, th- I know. Like you, a spinning thing sp- with all the movies like a display. Were on one display. Oh, yeah, yeah, like tur- a turning. Yeah. Like a like book, like paperbacks at the drugstore. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and I remember we would pick out and um, Splash and The Wizard of Oz and, and Grease too. That was pretty much those were our movies. That and that was a, like a, a drugstore, not a video store. It, it was, was Curtis Mathis, which was a, like an electronics oh, electronic place store. that okay. had all the, and they had videos for rental. And then there was a video store, and you had to you had to go. There was always I remember there was always this woman who always wore these really big sweaters. And she would, you would tell her the movie you wanted and she would pick it out from behind the counter. Like a reference library. Like, like a library, yeah. yeah. And so you would point to the movie and then they would go in the back if they had it and they would bring it oh to Oh my you. God. The suspense of driving to the, the video store and not knowing if they had the movie. Because they would just have like one copy of everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, man, that was, I mean, well, you know, Vidiots is coming back so to uh, the East Side. To you, Rock, that's so exciting, and it's going to have a movie theater too. It's awesome. Um, I want to for because it is so easy now. Obviously, to like get stuff on streaming, or I'll um, I'll rent uh, movies from the library too if they're mm-hmm. like not. But I want to like force myself to like to to patronize the video store yes, when it comes yes, to make I sure that it succeeds because I think it's really important to totally. Um, well, before we go, I ask all my guests on High Camp if we were to write a volume three of high camp and add some more movies to it. Drew Drogi, what movie would you nominate to add I to the high to camp? I want to nominate Canon? a film from, I want to say two or three years ago called the boy next door starring okay. our Jennifer Lopez. It oh. is one of the greatest truly like sleazy camp horror cautionary tale of a woman who uh, starts an affair with the boy next door. Who's a boy in her class. She's an English teacher. Um, Jennifer Lopez plays an English teacher who, I mean, that alone, you're like, (laughs) J-Lo is a teacher alone. It's just like so strange. It's so funny. This glamorous woman teaching English at high school, public English. Um, She also, there's an amazing situation where she gets... Where the the boy next door, you realize who is actually much older, but he's posing as a guy in her class. Uh, She has a horribly, uh, Jennifer has a horribly abusive husband. There's a really weird storyline with Kristen Chenoweth, which is just insane. And 
Um, and so this boy just comes into her life and he charms her because he brings her from a yard sale. He brings her a copy of the Iliad. Now she's teaching. Okay. Uh, and she opens it up and she looks at the Iliad and she goes, it's a first edition. <laughs> oh. Brilliant, brilliant joke. So yeah, and and it's not. And it's not a joke. Making a joke. It's not. It's like stone tablets. Uh, yeah, like with exactly. And, you're like, it. Wait, how? and it's just clearly like in perfect yeah. shape. It's like from a yard sale. You know, where, <laughs> there's so many great moments in it like that. The the violence is so over the top. Jennifer Lopez. I mean, who I do think is a phenomenal actress. I, do I think too. she's great in Hustlers. The thing about Jennifer Lopez is like she's like Halle Berry. Like they're so committed mm-hmm. with bad material. They're in it and they make great camp actresses because yeah. Halle Berry I mean my god Kidnap I'll put that in there too okay you know? yeah I've oh not seen Kidnap oh my god Kidnap and The Call oh yeah brilliant because Halle Berry is committed she's in this movie and she means business and and yeah there's um to see someone so beautiful and glamorous going through really like oh. heightened emotional stakes there is like always going to be a camp yeah, el- element because are, yeah 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 totally uh, and it's funny as you're describing this movie I realize I have seen the boy next door. You I have. saw it, I saw it like I was in Palm Springs over New Year's like three years ago with a bunch of people. And I think we like put it on like as we were hung over on New Year's uh-huh. Day. And I was like, Perfect oh yes, I have seen watch. this movie. Oh, it's it so is really good. Oh good. So good. Uh well those are two. So Boy Next Door starring J Lo and yes. Kidnap starring Halle Berry. Do you think I mean we haven't seen all the Oscar movies, but do you think J Lo should win Best Supporting Actress for I would love her to get nominated? I do know that because I'm I followed and I haven't seen um, but I, the movie that she's, um, Laura Dern in is, Marriage is, Story, is yeah. supposed to be nominated and it's going to take a lot for me to not vote for Laura Dern totally. in anything because I love me some Laura Dern, um, who also does not have an Oscar. No. Um, I think also Annette Benning might be up for something who, yeah, I, oh my as God, Feinstein, not have it? And she, this oh, will, she's Diane Feinstein. Yeah, she's, it's okay. the, rep- it's sort of, it's, it's called The Report and it's about. Oh, with Adam Driver. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, a, it's supposed to be sort of a political rebuke to Zero Dark Thirty talking about how. Uh, the um, the NSA and the CIA sort of condone torture during oh, the wow. era. and okay. so it'll be one of those movies. Uh-huh. And she's gonna she'll probably be nominated, but between J Lo and Laura Dern, this is unfortunately for Annette Benning gonna be another one of those years. Oh my God, Annette Benning, Glenn Close, <laughs> they're just gonna have to win together yeah. one year. Yeah, like, and, and uh, because my God, it just feels mean. At this well, it's point. gonna have to be like. Annette Benning up against Glenn Close, up against Amy Adams, like all the losers oh, up against yeah, each exactly, other, and then exactly. one of them will have to win. Oh, it's it's in it's just insane because all three of them are like so good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, I, oh my god. I, and then I, the grandma from The Farewell is getting a lot of. Oh, she, she's great. Well, yeah. I would love to yeah. see her get a nomination. She was amazing in that yeah. movie. I loved The Farewell. Me too. I thought it was beautiful. Um, I have to plug one thing. Oh yes, before. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know when you're, this is going to go up, but this will go up uh, like. Two weeks from yesterday. Oh, great! Yeah. Perfect. I if you're in LA and you're still and you're still um, listening to this and interested in hearing my voice, um, I'm doing um, a show on stage at the Celebration Theater that is the campiest show on earth. It's called Ravenswood Manor, and it's written by the glorious and talented Justin Sayer, uh, directed by the impeccable Tom DeTrinis and Jessica Hanna. Um, it's a, a cast of wrote. It's a new show every week, so it's six weeks. Um, it's a, it's an onstage soap opera, horror camp serial. It's set in 1976 in Ravensport, Maine, <laughs> uh, faded movie star who's come back to her town. There are witches. There's so much gay sex. There's so much, uh, drag. There's violence. It's everything you want. 
Come check it out at celebrationtheater.com. That sounds so amazing. It's I can't so much wait fun. to see it. Say what the name of it again is. Ravenswood Manor. It's Ravenswood Manor. And who else is in it? Sam Pancake oh. and Danielle Gaither um, and Ryan Garcia, Angela Cristinello, uh, Leslie Ann Huff. Oh, cool. And a guest star cast of just a million gorgeous, lovely people. Um, yeah, that sounds awesome. Uh, thank you so much, Drew, for being here. I, I had so much fun. I'm so, I have to say, I one of the first podcasts. This is very weird. One of the first podcasts I ever like listened to regularly was Glitter in the Garbage. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, when, like for yeah, and I uh, I've been a fan of yours ever since then. So thank you yeah. so much. I had so much fun doing that. Cool. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if you like the show, please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a nice review, rate us five stars. If you review us, I will. Uh, read the review on the show. I don't know if that <laughs> is a reward or a punishment, but I'm going to do it. Um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Ruckerbry, and also I have special accounts for the podcast at High Camp Pod. And I will see you guys next week. Bye.